I'm K.S. Garner, and you're listening to the Solo Nerdwork Podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with one of the co-creators and co-writers of the graphic novel sci-fi series, The Book of Ekroy, Issues 1 and 2, Levi Corey, who is here to promote his upcoming Kickstarter for early March. Welcome, Levi. Hey, hello. How are you? I'm good. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, but outside of my introduction, who is Levi Corey and what are you about? Uh, well, I enjoy storytelling. Uh, I've been telling stories since I was really little. Uh, my brother and I have recently uh, got together to create this sci-fi series, The Book of Ecroy. And, and you know, when, I don't know if you have siblings, but you know, when you grow up with a sibling, you, you, you spend a lot of time with that person. You know, you get to know them. And, and, and we would always sort of just sit and tell stories and, 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 and make up worlds and, and, and sort of look at sci-fi ideas and, and, and fantasy concepts and things and, and creating games. We played games together. So we were always constantly telling these stories. And, and, and throughout my life and my career, I, I've written for film, I've written for theater, I've written for television. So I have a lot of background in writing and I, I enjoy writing. I enjoy character development dialogue. I enjoy creating worlds and world building. And coming to where we are now, you know, my brother and I just decided, hey, why don't we start looking at creating a graphic novel, looking into the world of graphic novels and start to write those. And about four years ago, we started to put down some ideas and create some concepts. And we came to the book of Ecroy and its concepts about two years, a year and a half ago. And we've been able to put together one successful Kickstarter right now. And we're up to our second issue, the Kickstarter. Uh, we're looking at a six issue arc for this current story. So everything's already pre-planned and written and ready to go. We're just going through our Kickstarters and, and getting our support until we can get all six stories and, and, and have something that we can pitch and put together for an agent and for publication. You mentioned working with uh, with your brother who couldn't join us today, but um, as I was reading the information you sent me and looking over you guys' work, I was kind of jealous because I do have a brother and he's into music. And I remember growing up, I had to kind of bribe him into helping me with like some of my like art projects. I remember I did like a video. I did my own like a poem or something that I filmed for an art class and I had to beg him to film it for me because I couldn't do it at the same time for sure and then now I try to get him I want him to do the uh music the intro and outro music for the show and it's like pulling teeth I was like I know you want to I know you want to do it you just need to be pushed and if I have to nag you to death to do it I will which I, sure. I pretty much do to this day I'm kind of jealous that you know uh that your brother is a willing participant you don't have to bribe him too much for sure. With any collaborative partner, there's ups and downs, mm -hmm. you know, and, and since you have a sibling, then, you know, you know, even with a brother, sometimes those ups and downs can be different than it would be with a professional partner, right? Because mm -hmm. maybe you can say something to your brother that your brother understands a little bit more than you could a professional partner, or maybe you say something to your brother and it hits different, you know? So I, I think ultimately, there are still pros and cons to, to any working relationship, but working with my brother, there there definitely is more pros. I, I believe that that there is a symbiotic uh, sort of relationship that we have when it comes to storytelling. And 
you know, we, we don't always believe the same thing. We don't always think the same thing, but there's a democratic process to coming along to the ideas that, that works. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so what is the book of Ikroy about? Oh, the book of Ikroy, it, it, it's sci-fi. It, cyborgs is a story that we wanted to tell. So cyborgs are featured in this. Uh, basically, Ikoi is a biomedical engineer, and he creates these synthetic limbs that allow the, the wearer to still sense and feel things as if they had real limbs, right? So he uses this highly conductive metal in order to create these limbs, and, and the metal is very, very scarce. And so he decides to kind of take his technology and, and leave uh, the world where he is, and, and, he, and he takes it away from the society there because he doesn't really feel like that people will, will understand it, that people will uh, not try to take advantage of it. So he covets his own technology, takes it out, takes his followers and goes out into the universe. And he's sort of like goes on this path of finding all of these metals in order to create this. And, and ultimately, he before he passes, he creates this book, which is this sort of passing along of morals, values, ways to create the synthetics of the technology. And he gives this to the people. And so the people sort of create this pure state of being, right? They create this uh, uh, utopia of society. And 5,000 years later, the society starts to shift because people are kind of tired of, of, of just getting the same synthetics and just living by this code that they want to start getting other upgrades. They want to start looking at different technologies. So it splits into this pure uh, Unorian aspect, which is the culture of, of these people are called Unorians. So it splits to this pure Unorian culture and this disconnected culture. And then both of these cultures are fighting over the same resources. So that's where our story starts. Our story starts kind of in this state where Ecroy's already dead. He's passed along this, this knowledge in this book and the, the, the culture is fractured. And in the, middle, <clears throat> in the middle of everything is a family, a pure Unorian family. And the mother is sick. Um, she's having uh, uh, issues with her heart. And according to the Purianorian code, the Book of Ecroy, you can't get heart upgrades. It, it goes against um, what they stand for. And so she has to make a decision if she wants to live or if she wants to live by a code. And so it, it also fractures this family. So within the midst of the civil war, it's going on between the culture. This family is also experiencing a fracturing, trying to either come back together or, 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 or go separate. And, and live different lives. And so that's where we start. Okay, so how, okay, so how did it go from a thought in you and your, and your brother's head? I don't know who came up with the idea. I don't know where you guys got it from. Maybe you can elaborate more on that to now uh, publishing it and funding it through Kickstarter. So how did it from start to finish, if you can even recall, yeah. um, and like the stuff in the middle. So for sure. So how, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. When we were looking at doing a graphic novel, we started off uh, with a concept that was, you know, 48 books. It was, was much too, too large. Right. So we wanted to come back to a smaller scale concept, six issue, and we wanted to do sci-fi and cyborgs was our, was our starting point. We wanted to do a story about cyborgs. And then we started to think about some themes and things that we're fascinated with, you know, religion and cults, 
uh, those types of things, the, the indoctrination in cults and then the organized aspect of, of religion and how the stories in, in, in religions and cults are told and passed down. Like these are things that, that always uh, were interesting to us. So we thought, well, what if there was like a cyborg cult? What would that look like? You know, and, and we, or, or cyborg religion, what would that look like? And we started to come around to this idea of a, a limb or a synthetic that could be created that had value and then creating this sort of like way of life and this system of morals around that value of that synthetic. And, and that's where we kind of started to, to, to build this story, right? And then from there, um, you know, you start to look at collaborators, you start to write everything and you start to build the world and and the, the family concept the family stuff is also another aspect of storytelling that we're interested in as well family dynamics family structures you know what happens when a son or a daughter or or, or children are pitted against either their mother or their father or they have to choose a side you know that was also uh, themes and morals and things that we were looking at and, and structure within the concept. And so th those two things kind of came together within this story. It's like we have this overarching concept where you have the sci-fi, the hard sci-fi, this, how these, these synthetics are built and how they're constructed and, and, and how they're, how they're worn and, 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 and what is the, the, the morals behind protecting that code and then what happens when a family's caught in the middle of that where, you know, one of the family members wants to live and the code says that they can't. So mm -hmm. when, when you get there, then you, um, you, you, you have a story within a story and the world building becomes this really great aspect of the character design and the character development. And, and, and it really gives a lot of flavors that you can kind of go to when you've got the story coming together, right? Because in any good narrative, whether it be a comic book, a TV show, a movie, you have a really great balance of uh, storytelling where you have character development and you have story development and world building, right? Those are kind of the three concepts that you really want to kind of weave in and out of within the story. And sometimes uh, comic books and movies and things can get really heavy handed on one or the other. And sometimes people really, really love that. You know, you you watch something like um, the Lord of the Rings because that world building is so deep. You know, the, the characters are really, really good, but the, the characters to me seem a little more one dimensional and stereotypical within that world. But you watch Lord of the Rings because the world building is so deep. The character, the, the way the characters' histories flow, and and so for us, we want to kind of blend something between something so rich with world and then something so uh, amazingly sort of polished and, 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 and deep with character development and, and character design. And so we wanted to find a good uh, mix with, with all that together. And we feel like we've, we've done that with the Book of Igor. Yeah, that was actually one of my questions was, you know, was there any difficulty tackling world building alongside exploring topics related to religion and culture clashes and family? That was one of my questions. You kind of just kind of answered it. Um, but I guess, how, how did you resolve any of that if there were any issues? Can you, you mean, recall? Like, did, I mean, did you have, I mean, it sounds like you you all, you and your, your creative team were able to have like a good mixture of um, 
I guess not making things so heavy handed on one or the other kind of putting everything together. So were there any issues with tackling the, you know, world building, like creating this world and then exploring topics of, you know, religion and a code and um, culture clashes and like if there were, how, how did you all get around to resolving them? For sure. The, the most difficult thing about putting everything together is knowing how to do when and what to do when. And I think ultimately that's what can separate better writers and storytellers and, and creative teams from, from others, right? So when are you choosing, what dramatic elements are you choosing? How are you choosing to build those dramatic elements? So that's typically where all of the, um, uh, all the thought process comes back to, because you sit here and you build all of your world out, right? And so that's, that's your, that's development time. And then you look at your characters, you build your characters out, that's development time. And then you start to think of, well, how are these going to coalesce, right? How are we going to get them together? And I think that's where the challenges lie, because you've really got to know how to cut and paste and, and put things in the context of, okay, well, our first chapter is going to be able to flow through the character development so you know who the characters are you get introduced but then you also want to build an introduction to the world so how do those two come together how can we give them the right introduction of character and world so that when they're reading through it they're always wanting to turn the page you know with with comic books you know you can't you can bog people down sometimes uh with story and 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 we were really trying to avoid that you know we, we wanted to be able to keep things moving, keep things visually interesting. So that was also another issue, was being able to come up with certain visual concepts. One of the examples of that is being able to uh, go inside the characters' bodies, right? So we wanted to be able to, to, to feature the, the code book itself and some of the readings from the code as if you were reading the Quran or reading the Bible or, or reading a, a, a cult manifesto, right? They're, they're kind of all, sometimes they're always written in these particular dialects. So, so the code book, it, it, it kind of feels like you're reading uh, like an actual coder's manual, like if you were um, reading how to code something as a coder. So, as you read, as, as, as a reader, when you're reading the comic book, you're reading from the book of Ecroy, as we're seeing inside the body as it's being um, changed into a cyborg, right? So the organic parts are being replaced by the synthetic parts. And so we're getting inside the body and we're seeing that. And so we, we wanted to, to make it organic. We wanted, we wanted to make it feel like the reader could, could be really inside the action and be a part of of, of feeling the organic aspect of the body. So they may question their own nature of their own health and their own physical body, right? And mm -hmm. so in that way, you know, just trying to bring the world building and the character design and then the, the what you want to do with the visual story, it it's hard to do. It, 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 and, and when you sit there and you want to create a story that is readable and that engages people, you really try to come up with concepts, visual concepts that can do that. And we've, we've done that. We, we've created some narratives and some visual, content, uh, visual concepts that I think will engage people. So how did the, I guess, the process for um, you and your creative team creating issue one to issue two? So was it easier? Was it just like, um, okay, we were done with issue two. Now we have to go on to 
issue two, we, we don't issue one, now we have to move on to issue two. And how do we put them together, but treat them separately? Or did you just treat them all as one, just one continuous story? Yeah, we're, we're one through six is one continuous story. So for, for us, when we, when you do anything for the first time with a creative team, when you meet people and, and, and you get to the table and you start talking about ideas, it, it can be a little bit of a struggle to get everybody on the same page. You know, book two is, is coming around much more easily in terms of the uh, work with the team because we, we kind of got a flow, right? You know, you, you, you create that flow and, you know, book one gave us an opportunity to uh, get a sense of how everybody worked, what was the best way to work, how, how did the timelines work. And, you know, the artist and the artwork is always the longest phase uh, when you look at comic books. So uh, giving uh, Francesco enough time to where he feels comfortable and he's working on other projects as well. So he's fitting us into his schedule as he's going through and working on other things. And so, you know, scheduling is, is by far probably the hardest thing of everything is just to get everybody on time and to get everybody within time. Our colorist and our letterer, they are much more well-established in the professional world of graphic novels and comic books. And so their time is even more thin, right? Because they're working with Boom and Image and DC and Marvel, and they have a lot of contracts that they do that require them to finish things very quickly. And so for us, since we, since our goal with these six, since we're new writers, is to get the six out and to create a, a long form comic that we can publish. We are on a little bit of a different timeline, so we can work with them and we can work in around some of their deadlines. So how was, okay, it's just, I keep saying how was the process over and over again, but um, how was your experience uh, searching for your collaborators? Like, how did you know that Francesco, uh, Gabriel and Steve were the ones that were right for this project? Yeah, great question. When finding the artist is again very difficult to do, and and it, it's it's not difficult to have conversations with people. You can go to Instagram, um, you can go to DeviantArt. There are places out there, Facebook. You know, you can go to these artists' web pages. And the great thing about the artist is that, you know, most of them are willing to engage, even if they tell you no you get conversation, okay? Because I think people in the industry of comics, it is a support us and support you type of environment. So I really feel like the, the positive vibes that you can put out there always come back to you in, in any industry, but in this industry, I think people follow that as a rule. And so you, you can come into contact with folks you know, we came into contact with a couple of artists as we were that weren't Francesco when we were looking for artists. Some folks that were published, some folks that were uh, uh, that had won awards. And when it came down to it, there was a timeline issue or there was a contractual issue. And so sometimes, when you when you're looking for people, sometimes those come into play, right, as factors. Francesco did have a little bit of a timeline issue, but uh, contractually he was available. He was within our, within our budget. Uh, we had uh, a few art styles that we were, that, that we were drawing inspiration from. Um, Sean Murphy 
uh, an artist that did Tokyo Ghost, and then Mobius, an artist that works with Jodorowsky and doing the ink all. Those were two artists that we thought if we could fit a guy, if a guy could fit within those those molds and styles, then we would feel like it would it would really benefit the look of our book. And so Francesco's work, he worked on a, a book called The Saturn Effect with Chris Moses. And that was, I believe, uh, one of his first projects. And that had a successful Kickstarter. And we looked at that work and it looked fantastic. And, and, and it fit within that, that mold that we were looking for. And in contacting him, his, uh, he's Italian. And so there's a communication barrier. And so it is difficult to communicate with him sometimes. But his attitude, his personality, he is so excited about working on this. He, when we wrote this, the character design, the faces of the characters, the, the, the bodies of the characters, we wanted that to be open to the artist. The world that we created, we have so, we, we have our hands in on the world, but when it came to the character design, we really wanted the artist to, to have the most say in the character. And we really felt like that Francesco's character designs were, mm, they were just great, they were perfect. Um, that we wanted to create a character that wasn't human, but that still had the body of a human, right? That, that still had a human feel so that you could identify with the characters, but then we didn't want the, the, the reader to see themselves completely in a human character. We wanted them, we wanted them to be able to separate from the, the culture a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Mazzoli created these almost sort of like half sort of dinosaur, sort of lizard looking characters with these really strong, prominent face bones. And, you know, he created an entire science behind why the characters were the way that they were and submitted that to, to you know, how he was designing them. And it, it, it really gave it a flair. You, you know, it, it showed that he had a lot of commitment to the idea and was uh, really interested in the project. So we decided to go with him and he's, really delivering some really great stuff for us to be able to come out of the box with this idea as writers and to be able to be attached to this type of visual style that, that, that looks this sophisticated and that has a really great feel to it. He really understands how to work visuals across a page, like, like move your eye across the page really, really well. And we really uh, respect that, appreciate that, that he brings to the table. Uh, our colorist, Gabriel, Casada, we were able to get him through our letterer. Uh, I reached out to Steve Wands uh, because I have a lot of uh, love for the work that he does as a letterer on all of his projects. And he let us know he was available and he put us in contact with Gabriel. And when we saw Gabriel's work, we felt like it was perfect. A lot of really bright colors. He knows color theory so well. He, he's able to not only does he also help you draw your eye around the page? But he's a, a great supplement to the ink work that Francesco does. When, when you said that Francesco, I guess, created a science of why the character design was the way it was and why it would fit in with the story. Um, I mean, I know you all chose him because of his art style, but was there ever, has there ever been a time where there may have been some apprehension, some apprehension towards allowing the artist to have such freedom or that, you know, you saw their work and it's like, mm, I, it would change too much of the story 
has that ever happened or it doesn't sound like it is in this instant but maybe in another one because i i just i asked that question because speaking with other creators especially um comics writers who have to collaborate with um uh our illustrators and bring them onto their projects um sometimes it doesn't work out sometimes it's totally different than what they asked for and they're not really willing to change their writing for it to fit in with it or um they have to kind of start all over again finding a new artist so has there ever been any apprehension or maybe like could you i guess maybe offer some advice to uh, writers who are bringing on other artists onto their projects like hey this does happen this is kind of like what you have to do in order to resolve that issue Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, every team is unique and every thing that the writers want to accomplish, you know, the writers are kind of the producers most of the time in these projects. If, if, a, if a publisher hasn't come on and put the team together, typically in these independent projects and with some of your bigger writers, the writers are the producers. And so they are the ones that if they so choose, can come back to the artist and have the artist make adjustments, changes. There are some art, uh, some writers out there that um, don't get involved in the process. They trust their artist process when they put their work out on the page. Those writers have a lot of experience being able to put within their words and within the script what it is that they want the artist to do, right? So mm -hmm. I, I think they're within this question, Sometimes the writer may not be doing a good job of putting the vision on paper. So they may be struggling a little bit with what the artist is coming back with, because if you leave too many things open, then the artist will have to fill in the blanks. And sometimes you may not like how they filled in the blanks. And that may be an issue for you as one of the producers or the creators. So uh, as writers, my brother and I, we've put a lot of detail in the story. And that's not typical for comic book scripts. Uh, it's not typical for a comic book script to, lead, to read more like a film script to some degree, um, to be able to describe certain aspects of what a volcano looks like. You know, if you say the word volcano, a lot of times a writer will see, will understand maybe, okay, I know what a volcano looks like. But if the volcano is different in certain ways, if a volcano has a cap on top of it, or if there are buildings scattered around it, or if it's being off-gassed by these massive exhaust systems, or if it has like um, some of the lava is being siphoned out of the side, like you want to be able to describe that or at least get it within a certain way of understanding so that the artist can see what you're trying to put out, right? Mm -hmm. So ultimately, some of the things that a writer may say or an artist may say when it comes to these relationships may be based on the fact that the writer maybe didn't have enough information or maybe the writer has put too much information and the artist isn't giving him enough, right? And so I think with, with our particular project and working with Francesco, you know, sometimes an artist will feel like they have a better idea and they will try to execute that idea. And as a writer and as a producer, if you are able to have a collaborative relationship with them, then you can go back and you can say, look, it, it, it feels a little bit better to me or it may flow a little bit better to me or can you add this or can you take this out? And as long as you have a good working relationship, then you can probably come to a collaborative uh, idea fairly easily and within 
a particular way that that people don't feel like they're being put out or people feel like that they're not being taken advantage of. You know, when we started working with Gabriel, Gabriel the colorist, um, he he was used to to being able to get uh, timelines and deadlines met. And because we were new writers and new producers, we were struggling a little bit with communicating with him. Right. And so it was a little frustrating to him on, 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 on his part, because as new writers and new producers, we weren't getting him the information that we needed. So, so you, you needed to learn from that. And, and, and we were able to learn from that with him and move forward to, to be able to keep continuing to create. So I think it just takes an open mind. It takes a collaborative mind. And when you start out with somebody, the advice I would say as a writer, I would say two things. I would say really make sure you've got all of your voice and you've got what you want in there. Even if it's shorthand or short form, make sure you got it in there. And two, make sure you're open enough and you find the team members and you're open and honest with them from the beginning about how how you want to collaborate. That way you set the rules with them, you know, set your collaboration rules and then make sure you get your information in there. And, and I think you should be good. Yeah, that sounds some really great advice. I try to tell yeah. people the same thing because I'm, I do urban, I'm, I am an urban fantasy writer as well. And just to be open to what other people have to say, and, and at least with, uh, with criticism as well. Um, and if you want to make it into a comic or um, even just with like the book cover design, you know, it may be a little bit different than what you had in mind, but you know, as, as the artist, they, they know what they're doing and you kind of went to them for work. So like, that's what I was trying to say before, like with Francisco, with Francisco, it sounds like you all, you went to him for his work. So you knew what kind of art style he had. So it, it wasn't that big a deal if he changed something up or came up with a better idea. So I try to tell people the same thing, like, you know, if you're going to go to someone for their art style, just be aware that this is their style. And it may be different than what you had in mind. It's not going to be exact. But then again, them being the artists, they kind of have a better feel of how something is going to lay out like composition wise. Mm -hmm. So that's why I try to tell people just the same way, even if it's just like a book cover or um, when they send me um, some copies of their work from their comic books. So yeah, it's pretty much just what you just said. But you said a lot better than I did. <laughs> it's Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's... I. But 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 I think you're you're completely right. You know about what you're saying. Being open is one of the most important things. And and I think when when you with a lot of new writers, there's a lot of protection. You you're, you try to protect your idea, or you feel like you have to protect your idea, and and you, it can get in your way. You do have to trust the people that are around you. And if you don't trust them, then that's a question you need to ask, right? If you don't trust them, then quite potentially, then maybe you do move on. But but if you if you really can trust the people around you or they've given you no reason not to trust them because they've given you space, they've been open, then then you should be able to continue to, to, to sort of build a relationship. If you if you ever if and if you haven't, I, I'll, I'll say this as, as a new writer. If you haven't read other scripts, if you haven't gone and read scripts, you should read scripts. Okay, read comic book scripts. One of the most classic comic book scripts, of course, is Watchmen, Alan Moore's script. If, if you go and you go online and you, you grab this script and just take a second to look at it, you know, there's six panels, nine panels on some of his pages. Okay, he writes an entire page and a half 
for one panel. Okay. And in the description, he's going, so really, this has got to be visceral. Like, I really want them to feel the blood. I want the blood to come right off the page. I want the blood to soak into their bodies. Like, he's really taking the opportunity to clarify everything. And then from what I know of the experience, he just basically throws that on paper and he walks away. Mm-hmm. And the artist can either understand this or they don't understand it, but he doesn't get really involved in what the artist does from there because he feels like he's put it all on paper, right? Yeah. And and that's a good thing to think of, even if it takes him a page and a half to do a panel and it takes him months more to write scripts, years more to write scripts than most people. He's very successful. And there's a reason why he's successful because he puts his entire feeling out there. And so as a new writer, read scripts, see how people familiarize uh, an artist with the work because only artists read these scripts right you know so so how can you put your image and your idea in a way that another person that you don't know can just immediately take it and flow with it yeah i totally agree yeah um what i mean i don't know what other i don't know what how much more advice you can give because you you've given a whole lot of fun but um what advice uh, could you offer to other artists or script writers you wish someone would have told you when you first started? So it doesn't, it can be with the, your experience with this graphic novel. It can be um, your experience in theater and TV and film or just in general, but it's some advice that uh, you wish someone would have told you when you first started. Yeah. Uh, patience, you know, have patience. I think a lot of people, really try to hurry through things. You know, part of my issue as a as a creator, you know, I always struggle with not meeting deadlines and, and, and getting a lot of anxiety and having issues and concerns around making decisions, you know, feeling like you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. I have to choose this artist. I have to choose this thing because I don't have any other options. I don't have this, I don't have that. But there are always options. When it comes to comic books, I would say if you're looking for an artist, you need to you need to create like this idea of let's contact 50 artists. And I know that that to some people that may sound, whoa, how am I going to find 50 people? Get on Instagram, find an artist that you like and look at some of the people that he or she is following or that they are following, you know, be able to go to um, a colorist and start looking at who follows the colorists and, and what and, and, and what artists are following them. You can easily find 50 people. And then if you do research within that, you'll find their websites. You'll find that you can message them through websites or that you can go on DeviantArt and message them there. There's there so many ways that you can come into contact with people. So if you have any questions or any doubts, you feel like you're ever being put in a position to make a decision, just have some patience, go back, review things, look at things again, go and try to communicate with other people, try to create other options within your time, okay? But if the deadline is the deadline, then you also have to be okay with letting go (laughs) and then going forward with the decision that you've made. So it's a fine line, but those are the two things I would say, having patience, but then letting go. Because at some point you will have to make that decision and you're going to have to deal with it and move forward and collaborate around it or try and um, do your best to move forward with the, with the decision change or a character shift or an artist's decision. Um, you know, there are things in the first book where we go back and we go, man, 
Francesco and Gabriel and Steve really brought it to the table. They, they really created a new level for that page, or they created a new level for the story, for the character. And there are moments you can look at it as a writer. And if you're open-minded, you can go, man, I think we, we, we could have done a little bit better here, but you know, second guessing yourself and, and, and rethinking decisions doesn't help make the second book. So you've just got to kind of learn from those situations and, and, and try to do better next time. Patience and letting go are my two biggest faults because uh-huh. I, I don't have any, I don't have any patience. I kind of just want to get it over with and get thing, get the ball rolling and then letting go. Well, eventually I'm going to have to let go because the, my lack of patience and my anxiety is exhausting. So I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I'm just going to have to let it go. And then if it's wrong or it's not right, I'll just go back and fix it, you know, or I'll do better in whatever next thing that I'm doing. That's how I think of it. My third, my third thing is focus, but you didn't say that part. You said patience and let go. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to my third one. It's just those two. Um, But yeah, my, my last question for you, Levi, is what is your idea of success? So I ask that because as creators, if we're not getting regular paychecks from a full-time job or making consistent revenue from our art, we're considered failures. Mm -hmm. Many of us will put our dreams and projects on a back burner or give them up altogether because this career can be highly intimidating and competitive. So what is your idea of quote-unquote success? Wow, yeah. A lot of things here are relevant to the person, you know? Mm -hmm. And so talking about this makes me look like a dreamer or it makes me look like a rational being, you know, it, 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 it'll put me in a particular category. And I, I think ultimately success is relevant to the individual. For us, success is publication, right? And let me say this, what if success is goal oriented? What if it's layered? Okay. What if you're able to create a success staircase? Okay. I mean, I'm just making these words up. Okay. So, so, so what if you start with a goal that is a success and you can look at it that way? And then what if you have tiered goals that that Mm -hmm. continue to elevate you that have different levels of success? So what if you say your ultimate level of success is to get a paycheck and so you don't got to do anything else? Okay. I don't think that can be a first tier, like a first step success or a goal, right? Mm -hmm. So, so for, for me, if I'm answering the question, I can answer it in multiple steps, multiple phases. First success for me is publication. For me and my brother to be able to get publicized in any way, that doesn't mean making money. A lot of your first publicized books don't make money for you as an artist. It's an opportunity. It's a way to be seen. It's a way to be able to put a stamp to say, hey, look, we made it to this point. And that's what it is. There are, don't, don't don't get me wrong, there are artists, there are teams that make money on their first publicated uh, issues, and, and that includes doing um, sales in, in America and then doing sales overseas. You can do that. You know, we could, we could go overseas. We could be printed in Italy. We could be printed in England. We could be printed in France. We could never be printed in the United States. That doesn't matter to me. We were printed somewhere. We, we got publication in Australia. I, I, that, we're going to try to get publication. 
attention. And then from there, you, you look at your next project and you've got to say, well, if every project gets published in some way or another, then you're showing somebody, whether it be a literary agent or it be um, an artistic agent, you know, if you're an artist, you keep getting published because you keep working with teams, you know, moving and, and getting an agent to help you find projects and find contracts and find options is, is something that can is doable for people if they're meeting lower tiered goals to kind of build that that staircase right oh. but ultimate ultimately yeah i want to be able to move into my older years here to be able to say i'm a graphic novel writer and that's all i'm doing and and that is the, the top of the tier of the success and if that means being able to uh be published by image published by um uh, scout you know, even within the publishers, there's a hierarchy of, you know, some of the publishers are more recognized than others. There's third tier, fourth tier publishers. So being published by anyone, I think it's a really huge success. But then making that paycheck, I think, is, a, is also something you want to aim for. It's just that's not, for us, a reality right off of the bat. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to have a successful Kickstarter. We want issue two to be a success. So issue one was a success. We were so proud of issue one, being able to make over 6,000 as a Kickstarter. For a lot of graphic novels, you don't see that type of uh, outpouring of support financially. A $6,000 Kickstarter for an issue is, is, a, is a good take. And, and we were really proud of that. We were really happy of what we were able to uh, do with that. So that's a success, right? So issue two is a success, issue three. So getting our Kickstarters funded all the way up to six, that would be considered a success for us. Being able to find a publisher or an agent after that, that would be considered a success. And then we wanna build on that with more projects. We've got so many more ideas that we have in our pipeline that we wanna to continue to push out there and try to find more teams to work with and create more successes. Yeah. It what, what you're saying is similar to what I tell people, you know, you're saying them as a, like as layered as a staircase. I tell people it's like ABC. It's like the alphabet is like ABC. So some people don't even haven't even started at A and they're already thinking of, you know, the kind, the kind of money that they want to make, which is all the way at X, Y, and Z. It's like, you have to start, you haven't even started at A yet. You need to make A, B, and C. And sometimes you once you get to G, you end up going backwards sometimes as well, For and sure. then having to go forward once more. But I mean, even if you do take, you know, one step forward and three steps back, within those three steps that you went back, you have at least, I want to say, three steps of experience that you didn't have before. Mm -hmm. You know, so start at A and write down, you know, create an, uh, create an outline draft or whatever it is that you want to do you know see it all the way through publish it whatever it may be or put it out there for other people to see you know start at abc first before you go all the way to x y and z you know for so sure. that's pretty much what i tell people so yeah that's i mean they all, they all kind of they all kind of laugh at me when i say it but it's like that's how i think of it you you need, you need to start at a before you even get all the way down there to the to z <laughs> i agree um, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on about the book of uh, Ikori, Issues 1 and 2, um, that I may have missed? Like, do you know um, any of the rewards for potential backers as of yet, or 
Yeah, we do. Discuss that. Okay. Yeah, we do. We do. Our 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 issue two Kickstarter is going to be coming early March. Within this one, we always like to do issue one and issue two bundles. So if you haven't gotten issue one, you'll be able to catch up, no problem. You know, there's always the PDF uh, bundle, which you know doesn't give you the physical copy, but it allows you to to drop in and spend a, a pretty minimal amount to take to take a look. You know, um, you know the PDFs are always popular, and and th this time we are lowering cost uh, and we're going to lower the price to people. So typically $5 is what a PDF looks like in a lot of campaigns. So for us, we're going to lower that to three or $4 so that you could get both copies for six or seven, right? So you could get both PDFs for seven as opposed to 10, which is what most people charge. So we're going to be lowering prices, which is nice. Um, there's always a collector's edition. We always have variants. So we'll have a variant uh, cover of uh, the a book. And when we do our Kickstarters, we like to limit our variant covers to, uh, you know, a certain number of publications so that that's it. So if you mm -hmm. get it, you've got, you have something that will be more rare throughout time. If there's any success, if we ever reach publication, that variant's going to be only limited to 250, 300 copies. Uh, in our collector's edition, Francesco's going to do a, uh, he's going to do a character study for us that, that, that he hasn't done. So he's going to do an original inked piece for us that will be included in the collector's edition. And we're going to try sort of the thing that that is kind of popular with some of these comic book Kickstarters nowadays where you get drawn in the book. Our book three, our book three is going to uh, feature uh, a bunch of characters. So we're going to do a draw in the book tier where if you want to buy in there, you're going to be able to see your, your mug on one of the characters in issue three. So, you know, that's the, those are options for you in Kickstarter 2 coming up early March. How is that going to work? Because the the characters aren't necessarily human, right? But they have like the the similar to human beings, right? As Francesco, I wonder how that's going to look. That sounds interesting. It is, yeah. The face, the eyes, the nose, and the mouth are human, right? Yeah. And so the forehead and and then the chin and and certain things have more of like a bone structure, like layered bones, right? Mm -hmm. So the faces still look human to a certain degree. So we'll be able to take eye uh, structure. We'll be able to take their body structure. You know, I, I've got a friend who's you know, six, five, 250. If he decides to buy into the Kickstarter, he's got a huge beard. So, so his bones will probably come down like his beard. You know, we'll, we'll try to get creative with it so that, you know, he'll be able to recognize him if he decides to chip in. And, and you know, we'll be able to take in the, the people going into it will also know the character and the character design. And so mm -hmm. they may want, they may want to design their own bones. Um, that may be an option that they get as well. Oh yeah, that sounds really cool. Kind of like it's not you. Kind of like you design your own character. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, again, I want to thank the co-creator and co-writer of the graphic novel sci-fi series, The Book of Ikori, uh, issues one and two, Levi Corey, for joining us to promote the series's upcoming Kickstarter um, due in early March. I highly recommend our listeners to give the Kickstarter a look, share, and back if they can. All of Levi's socials will be listed alongside the pre-launch Kickstarter link in this episode's details. Again, I am KS Garner, and you have been listening to the Solo Nerdbird Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.